But I'm reminded this morning from Ephesians chapter 6 uh, and 12. You don't have to turn there, but I'm going to read it to you. And it kind of goes into our topic this morning as we look at uh, Mark chapter 9 is this. Listen to what Paul says uh, in Ephesians 6 through the inspiration of Scripture. He says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present uh, age, and against these spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And then he says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, stand therefore, having fastened. And he goes on to say this, the, the armor of God. And I want to read it here. He says, fasten on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And I could continue. I love the book of Ephesians. But what we learn and what we're going to see this morning as we, as we shift and look at Mark chapter 9 and finish out this chapter looking at verse 30 through 50 is what we see is, there, is there's this massive warfare going on. It's a kingdom type of warfare that's happening. And it's a warfare that's not just physical warfare as we're seeing uh, with Hamas and uh, what's happening in Ukraine and Russia and these invasions and we see wars. And then if you look at Africa and you read the stories of all the different types of war and troubles and all the things there, we see the physical battle, the physical upheaval in our world. But behind all of that is what Paul is saying through the inspiration of Scripture is that there is an underlying darkness. There is an underlying spiritual warfare going on. And in this morning, I, 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 I want to temper this. I don't even want, I don't know if I said, I think that's the wrong word. Tempering isn't the right word. I want to actually enhance it. And I want us to approach this with humility. I want us to approach this passage of Scripture with open eyes and open hearts and open ears to hear what God has to say to us through His Word. Because as we shift now, we've been seeing some incredible stories. We've been seeing incredible healings. You know, we were just singing about healing, this healer. Jesus, healing diseases. He's casting out demons. Even we just looked at it last week. His disciples did not pray, and they could not cast out a demon. Jesus comes. He's, you can see it. He's just, his disciples are not getting it yet. And what does he do, though? He casts out the demon. He has control over all things, even the spiritual forces of darkness. And what we come to next, though, is some of the heavy teachings. The disciples aren't quite yet getting they don't quite fully understand. They're still uh, deceived. They're still, their eyes are not completely open yet. They're following Jesus, yes, but yet at the same time, it's not clearly as we looked at a few weeks ago. And I want to read this passage of Scripture, but then you're going to see, if you haven't read already or read ahead a little bit, you'll see why I'm saying the things that I'm saying. I want to read it together carefully. Starting in verse 30, it says this. So I just want to read it, reading from the English Standard Version this morning. They went on from there and passed through Galilee. And he did not want anyone to know, for he was teaching his disciples, 
Because, I mean, again, he's wanting to teach his disciples. He knows, I only have a little bit of time left. I'm heading to Jerusalem. The Son of Man, as he's going to say here, he says it right here in verse 31. For he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed after three days, he will rise. But they did not understand the saying and were afraid to ask him. And they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. Can you believe it? Jesus has just said, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and when he is killed, after three days, he will rise. And as they're walking on this road, as he's telling them this, they're afraid to ask, and they're talking about who's the greatest of the disciples. Verse 35, and he sat down and called the twelve, and he said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them, and taking him in his arms, he said to them, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. Verse 38, John said to him, so Peter had his turn at kind of making a fool of himself with his questions and and his statements sometimes, and jumping ahead, well, it's John's turn. So John said to him, teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, do not stop him, for no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. For truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. Verse 42. You ready? This hurts. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck, and he were thrown into the sea. Verse 43, and if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell, to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. See, this is God's word, and this is Jesus speaking directly to his disciples, and specifically even to us today. This morning, first, as we talk about kingdom warfare, first, I want to focus on our fight against spiritual pride. Our fight against spiritual pride. Look again at what's happening. So the disciples, right, get, a, get the picture. Picture the scene as we just read it. The disciples have just 
tried, that we, for, first of all, Peter, James, and John have just seen the glory of Christ. They've seen a greater picture. They've been exposed to greater glory, seeing Jesus transfigured in front of them. This picture, as we looked at last week, and if you want more detail, if you weren't here last week, you can go back and listen to last week's message online. But it's this picture of the beauty of Christ, but not just the beauty of Christ. It's seeing a little bit more of His deity than His humanity. On earth, they're seeing both kind of at the same time, but ultimately God's deity is veiled by his humanity. Uh, we learned that really from, uh, I mean, from just reading the Gospels, but also Paul explains that pretty well in Philippians 2, um, that Jesus humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. But even before that, it talked about how he, he did not count himself he did not count himself like he's like thinking highly of himself, that he's deity, that he's God, but he humbled himself, took on the form of humanity, took on. So it's this picture of, but naturally by taking on humanity, it's veiling his, some of the aspects of his deity. And so in this moment at the transfiguration, he is revealing more of himself to Peter, James, and John. The other disciples, remember, off the mountain, and they're dealing with a demonic possessed person. And they can't cast this demon out. Jesus comes down the mountain. And what does he tell them? You remember why they couldn't cast him out? Do you remember that last week? It just ended our, our last verse as we were looking at it. Verse 29. And he, uh, 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 sorry, I skipped back a little bit. For, or went a little, a little backwards on that. Oh, I passed. That's why. I'm like, I know it's verse 29. I turned to chapter 8. And he said to them, This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. The disciples were just trying to cast out a demon outside of the name of Jesus. Maybe in their own name, trying to, in their own power, not in the power of Jesus. But now look, look at our story. Remember what John said in verse 38. You can skip down in verse 38. John said to him, teacher, we saw someone casting out demons doing what? Casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him. The disciples couldn't cast out demons because they weren't going to God in prayer. They weren't doing it in the power of God. They were trying to do it in their own power. Here's someone else, not one of the 12, outside of the 12, casting out demons, but doing it in Jesus' name, and they tried, the disciples tried to stop him. Remarkable. Do you see how easily some pride can step in and you can say, my camp is better than your camp, or like, this person's not in a circle, and so we can be very, 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 and it's very subtle. Yes, I think there is important lines of demarcation. That's why you have denominations in churches. That's why you have certain, you have faith statements, because you want to make faith statements from Scripture, doctrinal statements that identify you and your understanding and your application of Scripture. And yes, there are some that are, whether that is a charismatic movement, whether there's other different, all these different kinds, and they even end up with other religions who claim to follow Jesus, but then also the teachings of uh, uh, um, Joseph Smith or others, the Jehovah's Witness, different ones who add to Scripture. Those are very much lines of demarcation. But here's someone doing something in their name, in, in Jesus' name, and the disciples are like, no, 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 you can't cast that demon out. <laughs> You're not one of us. Now go back again, before, before we even get to that story, as we look at that, look further again, what they're doing. What's their conversation along the road? 
And they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you discussing on the way? Notice what happened, right? Have you ever, have you ever done that before? <laughs> you're, you're, you're talking about someone or talking about something, and someone comes up and says, what were you guys discussing? And you're like, uh-oh. Like, you're like, oh, no, like, you're, you don't want to say, and so exactly, they know they were not having a great conversation that Jesus is probably going to approve of, and so they're like, oh, man, Jesus is, how did he even, they're like, I'm sure they were going like, how did he even know? How does he know what we were talking about? He wasn't there, and sure enough, they're learning more and more about who this Jesus is, and so it tells, it tells us, uh, tells us, it gives us a little detail, but they kept silent for, <laughs> because... On the way, they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And so, Jesus, knowing this conversation, even though they kept silent, he's going to turn it into a teachable moment with his disciples. And so he says in verse 35, And he sat down and called the twelve, and he said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. I mean, here's the teaching. It's the upside-down aspect of the teaching. The way up is down. It's death, then resurrection. It's new life. You humble yourself. You die to self. This picture of crucifixion. I have died with Christ, therefore I live. It's die to self, live. It's not try to live. What happens is the opposite. You try to live, you die. You see, this is the upside-down kingdom. It's, it's, it doesn't go as seem. The gospel is, seems counterintuitive. Humble yourself, you get glorified. You glorify yourself, you will be humbled for eternity. Here is the point, and the point is this. is like, listen, this is a fight for spiritual pride because here's what we tend to do even when it comes to this. We think that we're not that bad. We're trying to figure out who's the greatest. We're, we're putting a, you know, we have these debates, right? I don't know. I know, again, sometimes it's me and Justin having these conversations about football and other things that I'm not sure anybody else relates with me when I start talking about football and other things. But I'm in some group chats and different things with some friends and interns from former interns from where I served before with me and, uh, and some of them. And they, they love to debate who's the goat, like who's the greatest of all time in every single category. You're like, who's the greatest of all time? And then, you know, all of a sudden there's the LeBron James, there's Michael Jordan, and then there's some, there's people that are like trying to push Steph Curry to be the greatest of all time. And you're like, I mean, he's great. He is. He's the greatest shooter of all time. They, they all add these things and all this stuff. But we always want to have a list and who's the best, who's the second best, what's your tiers and all these things. Like who's the best at this position or that position or who's the greatest? This is exactly what they're doing. They're saying, like, who is the greatest, like, among us? Like, we want to, they're, because they're thinking what? Do you remember? They're thinking the kingdom of God is being established, and they're getting to be directly a part of this. It's being established. We want to sit at the table. We want to have authority. We're one of the insiders with the Messiah. And so, all of a sudden, what do you do? You start, what is it, what comes natural? You start looking down at others. You start thinking, I should be served, not serve. I'm too good to do X, Y, Z. You know, I have a, a white-collar job, so I'm not, I, I mean, I don't know how to use, like, my hands, you see these hands, these are like model hands, you know, like, I don't get dirty, and so you're like, no, I'm going to stay, I'm not talking about my hands, I don't know if you my hands do not look like model hands. Um, I probably need to cut my fingers, fingernails again if Amanda was in here, she'd probably tell me. Um, <laughs> why did I say that? Um, 
The point, though, is this. Is we, 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 we think, well, I'm too good for such and such. Or, like, that doesn't get enough notoriety. You know, there are people downstairs right now serving our church just as if I, just like I am serving this church through the preaching and teaching of God's Word. As others were up here singing and leading us in worship. Others in the back serving at a tech booth. Others at doors and others downstairs right now having to give up the opportunity to be in the service because we're not able to have two services yet. And so they give up being a part of the church family, singing together, sitting under the teaching of God's Word to wipe children's bottoms. <laughs> like, they're down there doing these things. Because not just because they, like, like, oh, I love babies and all these things, and I can't wait to just hold a crying baby all, all you know, like, Eric, speed up your sermon so you can, I can get this child back to their mom. You know, no, they're doing these things. They're serving, and they're humbling themselves. They're lowering themselves to things that aren't noticed. There's others who do things behind the scenes. Jesus even goes on to say this. As we continue looking at this passage, we see this. Look at verse 41. For truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. Just a cup of water in Christ's name. Doing it for the glory of Christ. Listen, we can focus on who has the better job, who has the more glorious job. You're like, you're like man, I wish I was doing such and such. Or, or you might be thinking, man, I wish I had that talent. You look around and you notice other people's talent. You start feeling down on yourself and you start looking. You're like, man, I wish I could do that. Or, man, I wish my, like I, I say this every week, I wish my mom, would, my parents would have forced me to take piano. I love, I, like, my wife and Stephanie probably can't stand my obsession with trying to tell them what I want, but I'm like, I don't know how to do it is the problem. And that's what Amanda tells me. He's like, Eric, well, you don't do it, so get over it. <laughs> you know, like, but I, I so want to, and I'm like, man, I wish, like, I wish I could play the piano. I wish I could play the guitar. I, I can focus on the things that I'm not gifted at or haven't learned how to do, and we can glorify certain things and minimize others. But I want you to see the, the, devast- the bigger picture here, though. The picture is, yes, as a follower of Christ, we humble ourselves. We serve others. I want you to see this as Jesus described back in verse 35. Because now he's going to give them a, a teaching on this. He says, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. But look at verse 36. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them. And taking him in his arms, he said to them, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, uh, but him who sent me. Now, in our culture, children, like, I know this is going to sound bad about for, former cultures, but like, children are very much lifted up. Like, oftentimes, sadly, children end up, rule, children end up ruling the home. Like, they dominate the lives of the parent. Like, like, let me get you into this. Let me get you into that program. Let me get you into this. And all of a sudden, the, the parent is almost serving and like, and is, is putting up and, and serving the child. In these cultures, though, in the culture of the day, especially the Roman culture, and it even was in the Jewish culture too, children had zero rights. That's why they made a big deal when a child became an adult, when they have these ceremonies and other, I mean, other things. This is a big deal because they, they were, they were I mean, literally in this culture, several discarded. Just don't need this child. I don't want this child. This, this child's a nuisance. 
Listen, so like when Jesus is putting a child in the middle of him, it's not like our culture of like, oh, this sweet little innocent child in the middle of, a middle of this teaching moment, and him saying, look, look, whoever, whoever took a child and, put it, and he put him in his midst of them, and he's taking him in his arms, he said to them, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. He's not just saying like, oh, this cute, nice little kid. I mean, he's saying like the, the ones who have no rights, the one who's kind of maybe it seems to be in the way of you received that child too? Think about the outcasts of our society. It may not be the case today like it was in this culture as much with a child. Maybe it's others. People who you think that you're better than. I don't have anything in common with this person, and so I don't think that I, it's my responsibility to help them. Listen, James warns us of this. He warns us hard of this. And he says, he's basically saying that, James is basically saying that you're outside the faith if you see a brother in need and say, hey, be well, go and, go and live and don't actually do something. It's like, what kind of faith is that? Jesus warned about having the high seat of the table. And what he's saying is serve those who can't give it back. You even see with the child, this child can't give back this kind of thing that, that you can do. You serve this child or you help this person. They, don't, they have no means to help you back or to give back to you. But what do we do? We find ourselves helping those who, this has a little bit of an ulterior motive. I help you. Maybe that will gain respect from you. You ever find yourself doing that? Maybe with a supervisor at work. The only reason you're, you're, you're doing this is to ho- in hopes that they will notice you and give you respect and give you what you think you deserved, deserve. You see how much pride creeps in into our hearts? We're, we can look at the disciples and look down on the disciples, but really if we look at our hearts, we can see the pride that creeps in. And here the disciples are getting kind of a beating from Jesus warning them of this. And John, as he steps up and tries to say, we, we saw someone, he's trying to, he's hoping to like say the right thing, like, teacher, we noticed someone who is doing something that's not one of us. And when Jesus rebukes him, he transitions into probably one of the most heavy passages of Scripture that we have in the Gospels, in the various accounts. The topic of hell arises as we look at chapter chapter 9, verse 42 through 50. The topic of sin. Listen, we talk about spiritual warfare. I want you to see that this is a this is a fight. This is a mortifying, putting to death sin. Listen, we not just fight against the spiritual pride. That's going to be always, every day of the week. We're fighting our our sense of, of um self-righteousness, thinking that we're good enough and we can compare ourselves to others and we can try to figure out who, who compares, where we should be here and others can be here and we can figure out these things out like the disciples are. But here's the big fight and, and Jesus' warning here is extreme as we've already read. We must fight sin. This, this, we cannot take this strongly enough. You see, Jesus Above all else, think about this, in the whole Bible, all the the ones who speak, the prophets, Moses, as we look in the New Testament and we have 
First and Second Peter, First, Second, Third John. As we look at Jude, we look at all the epistles and uh, um, church letters that were written by Paul. You know who spoke the most about hell? It's Jesus. Jesus is the one who speaks more than anyone else in Scripture about the topic of hell and fighting against sin. Notice first, this fight is not just against your own temptations. It's the fight of this. Notice verse 42. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to sin. Parents, you have children in your home. I have children in my home. Here's the warning. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to sin. Notice how strong the language is here. It would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. That was very common practice for the Romans. They would take that and they would, as soon as you were like an insurrection or something you had done, maybe you're on a ship or something like that and you're insubordinate, put a millstone around you and throw you over the, over the ocean, you'll drown. Here, he's, the warning is that this fight, it's not just a fight for yourself. It's a fight of your impact on others that maybe you have authority on. So if you're a parent, listen, this is a strong warning for us. Like, are we leading our children to faith in Christ? Are we leading them? Now, listen, don't miss the point. We're imperfect. This is the whole point of why we have the gospel. We need Jesus. And I'm going to talk about that in a second again. But first, here are the warnings. Like, Whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to sin, it's better for him to have a great millstone hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. He's saying, listen, listen, pay attention to how you're impacting others. This isn't just directly like you're sinning against someone. You're leading them to sin. What can that look like? Maybe by your own greed. You're helping teach your children about things and stuff, that that will give them pleasure and that will give them satisfaction. And once you have things and resources and stuff, then you'll, be, then you'll be great. And if you're modeling those things, what are you doing? You're setting them up. Like, listen, when, when you, when, listen, when, even when you don't, like, I would encourage you, family devotions. We talked, we did a series on the family at the beginning of the summer. Like, encourage you, like, show your priorities to your children by the things that you, like, you show these things, you reveal these things to your kids. This is leading them down a path. Here's the warning. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to sin. Think about this. This is your impact on the world. This comes from Jesus' teaching about this child in their midst, but also about John and this demon-possessed person, them saying, no, 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 you should, we should stop this person. And you look at other ones. Listen, how about the person who walks in this room, maybe doesn't look like you, talk like you, act like you, and you just ignore them? What's that, that, how does that an effect on them? How is your love for other people, being neighborly and kind and gracious, being a good example at work, how does that, what if you at work, you, know, you have a coworker, you have an intern or someone working alongside you, and they see you cutting corners? They see you kind of fibbing up the, the, the sheets and the different reports that you're to put together. How does that impact the person that sees those things, watches those things, observes those things? 
This is a, a warning. And here he continues, and now he's focusing on not just your impact on other people and how you treat other people, how your direct involvement in another person's life and causing them to sin. Now he shifts and he gives three specific areas. Notice them all. Verse 43, and if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell, to the unquenchable fire. He says then, if your foot, so maybe your hands, in anger you strike, in anger you do something, or your hands, you go after, you steal, you take. If your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame with, uh, than with two feet to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell. So you see our eyes, you see our hands, you see our feet. Our feet take us to places. Our hands do things. Our eyes observe and take in things. And here's the warning, and I want you to hear it. He's not just saying, hey, man, you need to take some serious measures to defeat, to defeat sin in your life. No, he's not just saying you need to take direct measures against sin. He's saying there's genuine, serious life and death. Eternity is at stake when you don't deal with these things. You know how easily we deceive ourselves and think that when we're sinning that it's not that bad. Or, well, God is gracious. Maybe you have awareness of God's grace and His love and His mercy to you. And so you're like, well, God will forgive me. So you just give in to temptation. Hear these words from Jesus. Take radical measures. Here's his point. He's saying, don't delay when you're dealing with sin. Don't wait. Don't uh, until later, maybe in a little while. No, deal with it right away. You know how we do, you know how we do this, right? Think of it with diets. <laughs> we delay them, don't we? You know, you're like, oh, it's the, the holidays are coming. You know, Halloween candy's coming up. Like, all right. And then it's like, it starts at even at Halloween. You're like, well, I mean, you know, we're going to have candy around. It's going to be really difficult to really start on our diet. So Halloween. And then you're like, well, then there's Thanksgiving. You know, grandma's coming over. Like, like how are we really going to do this? And then you're like, well, it's the Christmas season. I mean, who can give up Christmas cookies? And you're like, all right, January. January 1st, I'm in. You know, gym membership and all. Like, we, we wait, we just, we have our reasons, and then what happens, right? We fade out, we give up, <laughs> you know, you don't even, like, that's what they, people who have gym memberships always say, they're like, they hate, January and February are like their least favorite months, they're like, can't find a treadmill, can't get anywhere, because all the people who are like, all right, fresh start, I'm going to do it this year, they show up, but then they fade, so it's like March, it's good again, it's available. We delay, I, I think of this just recently, um, we were, uh, you know, it's, uh, we had a fire pit last night, but also... Um, a couple weeks ago, we just have a ton of brush and things that we've cut up, uh, gotten rid of, and things that's just been kind of piled up through the winter or through the summer. I'm like, I am not burning anything. It's too hot. So, uh, so we've gotten some cooler weather. So I started trying to clear out some of that. And so I have a burn barrel. It was burning there. Levi was helping me, my youngest boy. And, um, and so I was out there. Was, we were burning, and it was getting really hot, and, uh, and, and like it's getting full, and we were filling it up. And it got a little too full, and a couple pieces fell out. And the area that I, you know, I know I should have been better. I'm going to... Fire marshal's going to be showing up at my house next week probably or something. But, but, um, but uh, like some, some stuff, some of the fire, some of the wood that was on fire fell out of it. 
And so, yes, I know I should probably soap the area, everyone. You can judge me later if you want. But, like, you know, soap the area and probably not been so near some pine straw that's been a little bit dry because we haven't had rain in a few months. And so, anyways, it falls out, and then all of a sudden, uh, I mean, like, like, stuff starts catching on fire. I have a little bit of brush, too, probably too close to the burn barrel as well. And I'm, like, stomping out stuff. I'm, like, I'm stomping all over it. I'm yelling, Colson, grab a hose. Hurry up. Like, like someone, like I run into the house to try. I'm like, uh-oh, this could get out of control really quickly. Think about that. Would I look at this fire and be like, oh, well, let's, let's see what happens. It's not that bad. I mean, it's just a little bit of, of fire fell out. Like, eh, it's not that bad. I'll just, let's, it'll, it'll burn out on its own. No, what do I do? I jump in immediately and I'm stomping this thing out. I'm like, okay, we got to do radical things to get this fire to stop again. And then we're like, all right, next time we're going to have the hose a little bit ready more in advance. Like, we, we, listen, we tend to play with fire when it comes to se- sexual sin, when it comes to greed, when it comes to our lives. We don't deal with it. We delay. We think, well, next time, I'm going to do better next time. Or uh, we give in in that moment. And you sit on the internet for 30 minutes looking at things you know you shouldn't have looked at. And you're like, well, I know it's not, I know I shouldn't have, and I know it's not, but it's not that, that bad deceiving yourself. Jesus is warning. He's saying it would be better for your eyes to be removed, your hands to be removed, and your feet to be removed than to go to hell. Here, what's at stake. Eternity is at stake. And I want you to hear a couple things. Really quickly, probably should have broken this up into two messages, but listen, hear, hear this. First of all, what is hell? Hell was, this word, Gehenna, was, uh, was literally, this, uh, the literal word being used in this moment was this a site that was this, almost like a dump. And it was this fire that never ceased. They would always have this fire going. And that's where they would dump things. They would dump their trash and other things at this place that was just constantly a fire. Sadly, even that's what they would do with bodies and others. And I was talking about children as well and other things. I mean, some would even sacrifice and different things like this. But this is a fire that was just constant. And they would take this, these, their trash, their things there, and they would just keep burning. And they would burn it up, and they would keep, the fire would keep going. Notice a few things when Jesus is saying, what is hell? Is it a literal hell? Is this figure of speech? What is he talking about? Notice a few things about this word and what Jesus is describing in this passage. First of all, notice that, that when, we, when he's referring to hell, he's referring to it as an unending suffering. That there's no end. He uses the word unquenchable fire. Verse 48, we know that this, this type of punishment, this type of death, as it were, it, t- it says this, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. So something about this aspect of torment, it doesn't kill you. It doesn't end. It doesn't just kill you. The, it's, as it's describing here, the worm doesn't die. The fire continues. It's an unquenchable fire. It's not ever put out. Strong language about the eternal state of those who are not in Christ. Another aspect of this that I want you to understand about hell is it deals with spirit and body. We're not just saying it's like a, a spiritual suffering. No, it's a, a physical 
body as well as the spirit, the body and the spirit. In Matthew 10, 28, hear these words. I think of this as I think of many martyrs over the years. Others who've experienced extreme torture and pain and suffering in this life. In Matthew 10, 28, Jesus said these words. He said, fear him. He's like, he says this, uh, paraphrasing here. Don't be afraid of those who can kill the body. He's like, don't be afraid of those who can take your life. But here's what he says. So you're scared about what may happen to you in this life. Here's what Jesus' own word says. He says, fear the one, fear him. And he's talking about himself. He's talking about God. He says, fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. See, both body and soul in hell. It's also described as outer darkness. This phrase comes to mean, as we picture it with Christ, it's apart from God. This is, this is no longer the grace of God. Can you, I mean, think about that. Imagine no grace, none. You see, whether you're a believer, follower of Jesus, not a follower of Jesus, if you're a person who is alive, you're experiencing the grace of God to just breathe your next breath. You could, a person who could who doesn't, who's a complete atheist and a person who's a follower of Jesus can go out to the same site and be in a dark area on earth and look up to the sky, look to the heavens, and be blown away by the beauty and the majesty of the sky. One worshiping God, the other not worshiping God. But they both can enjoy it. You can both go to the beach and experience the wave on your, and, the, and the wind in your face and hear the sounds and, and enjoy a, a, just a walk down the beach with a loved one or just by yourself. And you can enjoy these things. You see, outer darkness is apart from any grace of God. You are completely left to yourself. No more God in the picture for you. It's a picture of outer darkness. It's not a party, per se. It's not a word that we use flippantly. Listen, teenagers, young people in this room, adults as well. We don't just say, uh, we don't just use hell as a slang word for like, man, it was a great time. Like if we understood the word hell and what it meant, we would never consider saying any such thing like that. Hell is pictured as this place of outer darkness. It's apart from God. It's apart from the presence of God. Really, it contrasts with Revelation 21, 23, where we see there is no sun needed in heaven. Why? Because God's glory shines brightly. You see, in the presence of Christ, the presence of God, there is light. Apart from God is darkness. And this is place that all those outside of Christ will go. So what's at stake? You might ask. Everything is at stake. So listen, you're dealing with sin this week. You're dealing with struggles. Listen, I'm speaking to myself. I come in very heavy this morning. That's why I wanted the songs that we were singing to remind myself of what Christ has done. Because as we look at this, we can see the standard is too high. We can't meet it. I know me, and I know this week I will sin. I will, I will fall short. I can easily stand up here and preach to you, from, try to be as genuine as possible. Guess what? There's still a little bit of pride in me that wants to be accepted, liked. That is sin that I need to fight, and I need to feed it in my heart and in my life. Listen, we have to take sin seriously, and you need to fight it with everything you got. Guess what, though? You don't have enough. You don't have enough, I don't have enough power 
but we have a God who does and a God who promises his presence with us. Listen, trust Christ. If you haven't put your trust in him, I implore with you to put your hope in him. He is the answer to our spiritual pride that wants to try to earn our way into his heaven and to earn our way into relationship with him and acceptance by him. Listen, avoid that spiritual pride. Defeat it. Fight the temptation to be better than and to be great and to push yourself to be all these things. Lower yourself, humble yourself, serve. And when it comes to to temptations in this world and the things that that the, the great deceiver is tempting you with, but you're not just, don't just think of it as you're being tempted from the outside. Ultimately, we're our own problem. It comes from the heart. It comes from a sinful, broken heart that wants what we shouldn't want. It, it takes God's design for marriage, God's design for sex, God's design for life, and all these things, and it perverts them, and the temptation is to do things outside of His standard. So what are you going to do? Maybe this week it's taken some radical measures. No, he's not literally meaning actually cut your hand off. So no one come next week with their hands cut off, please. No one come with just one eye. Listen, but he is using some strong, strong metaphors to tell us the seriousness of sin and its devastating effects on our lives. This passage ends, and I'm basically out of time, I want, to, I want to hit on this as well. Verse 49, For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. It's a very, very confusing verse, for verse 49. For everyone will be salted with fire. What, what does this mean? I think Leviticus 2.13 helps us uh, with answering this, this question. But even with that in mind, there's probably more meaning here than that even. But in Leviticus 2.13, we understand that, see, in the sacrificial system, um, as the people of Israel were to offer their sacrifices, they were, certain sacrifices, they were to also add salt to it. And the salt was a picture of God's covenant relationship with his people. These are the ones who are in the family of God. And they're to offer this salt. And here he's describing it in this way. It's God's covenant, but also his relationship with his people. But he's saying this, for everyone will be salted with fire. So some will be salted with the fire of eternal punishment for all of eternity. Others of you, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're going to be salted with fire. And it's this refining fire that is difficult. But the picture is not just about this salt aspect to you. It's about you being a salt. Paul helps us with Romans 12. He says we're to be a living sacrifice. You see, the salt was to be added to the sacrifice. It was to be an offering to to God. Here, as followers of Jesus, we ourselves are living sacrifices. We deny ourselves. We fight sin. We fight our pride, and we put our full trust in Jesus. Listen, this is heavy. These are serious warnings. But they all help us when we look back at verse 31. As he's teaching his disciples, he said, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days he will rise. You see, we all deserve eternal punishment. We're all fallen short. We all sin. 
We even maybe deceive ourselves. But this is why Jesus came. Jesus came to bridge the gap. He came to heal. He came to restore. He came to restore and to, a word that we love here at Redeemer, redeem. He came to purchase our pardon. He came to, he stepped from heaven's throne as we were singing earlier. And he comes as the judge, but the judge steps off the platform and he comes and he stands in our place and he takes the punishment that was due us. He was crucified on a cross so that we wouldn't have to be crucified. We wouldn't, he goes to hell for us so that we don't have to go to hell for eternity. The sinless perfect one, the one who knew no sin became sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the great exchange. We give him our sin. We say, God, I am a sinner. I have fallen short. I am not good enough. There is, I don't have enough righteousness in me. You're humbling yourself. You're not being self-righteous. You're humbling yourself and saying, it's not in me. I can't. But I know you can. And so I trust you. Listen, will you trust in him today. Don't delay. The time is at hand. Put your trust in Christ. If you're a follower of Jesus, how are you doing in these areas? How are you defeating sin? I mean, some of you need to take radical measures. You need to get rid of the sources that, that are entangling you. Maybe that's a relationship with a coworker, and you need to stop that relationship. So you've got to shift. You've got to quit that job, move, move out, do something that you have to do to get out of that relationship. Maybe you have a serious money problem, and you can't help. You have so much greed, and you, have, you can't help, but you just spend, spend, spend. Listen, take control of that like get, or release control of that. Give that to someone else to be like, I can't just get access to the money because I know as soon as I get money, I get rid of it. Or maybe you have a pornography problem and you can't help, you, you think that you can't help it and you get yourself caught up in this moment of, of you don't think it's going to be this big deal. Get rid of it. Get rid of access to it. Get accountability. There's covenant eyes. There's other things that can be a resource. But listen, you've got to take radical measures. Why? Because heaven and hell are at stake. You see, this is Jesus's, Jesus specifically talking. Yes, this is God's word, all of it. But here we have the words that are, some of your Bibles probably in red. As Jesus speaks, hear his warning, hear his rebuke of the disciples. Let's take it seriously. Holiness, we're never going to be holy enough. This is why we trust Christ. But as we trust Christ, we go back to Ephesians 6, 12 that I began with today. And we put on the armor of God. We go to God's word. We go to the Lord in prayer we trust Him. We look to Him. We seek accountability. We get invested into a church, into other people, pouring into our lives, challenging us, speaking into areas that are blind spots. We take sin seriously because our lives are at stake. So will you trust Him today? I'm going to pray. And I want to encourage you, if you've never placed your trust in Jesus, don't wait, don't delay. None of us knows what tomorrow holds, what this afternoon holds. Our lives are in his hands, so we trust him. And if you're struggling in this area of sin, some area of sin, and you're like, man, i got to take more radical measures, one is this. The first radical measure is owning you got a problem and seeking help. Like, just seek help. You're not going to do it on your own. You will not do it on your own. You need to put your trust in Christ. God will help you, but you need the accountability of others. You need the church. You need 
other followers of Jesus to help you along the way. So will you confess? So maybe right now you need to confess sin. Repent, turn, and put your trust and your hope in Christ alone today. Let me pray. Father in heaven, we look at your word this morning and we're maybe terrified. It's heavy. So we're going to see in chapter 10, it doesn't really get any easier. We're seeing the cost of following you. It's costly. It's a dying to self. God, I, I'm sure there's some that just feel so beat up. I feel like they entrapped, enslaved in sin. Some probably who claim to be followers of Jesus are also struggling too. God, I know I go through seasons of struggle. and Maybe some are doubting. Father, would you be so gracious to help open their eyes to see their sin for what it is. See the seriousness of the temptations that they've maybe given into, and may they see a Savior who's willing and able, has already taken their place, and is just willing with outstretched arms to accept them, to forgive, to receive grace and mercy. Father, would you help us? Help us as a church, help us as individuals. God, may we be a people who live for you and for your glory. God, I I think of my influence personally on this audience and the people in our church. I think of my own family and how I lead my family. God, may this not be the case that we see in verse 42. God, help us. Help us to be a light in this community. May we never be a stumbling block. May we never be so self-righteous that we look down on, on, on other people who are different than us. God, forgive us of our pride. Forgive us of our sin. And help us to live with your eyes and with your hands and with your feet. I can't help but think of this. Your hands were pierced on a cross. Your feet were nailed to a cross. And we can't give up. Fill in the blank. Shame on us, God. Shame on us for our selfishness and our pride. Help us to hear these words and this this strong rebuke and warning this morning. May we live differently this week. God, help me. Help me specifically, God. Do a work in my heart. Continue to shape and mold me and mold us as a church family to be more like Christ. Thank you for sending your son to die in our place. So now help us, God, to live in light of that and to fix our eyes on you. Not just today, but every day. Till you return or till you call us home. In Jesus' name, amen.